Hi, I'm Audrey. And I'm Amanda. Welcome back to another episode of the Not So Model Minority Podcast. ago we did a little poll on our instagram to ask y'all what topics you want to hear more about and it seems like many of you guys enjoyed our second episode on imposter syndrome and diversity in the workplace yes thank you christy thank you so much <laughs> so we decided to do like a career mini series to sort of demystify some of the so-called atypical careers in the asian community Yeah, exactly. We wanted to shed more light into some less common jobs where the career path and the work involved may not be as clear. Mm -hmm. So we are planning to invite a few of our cool friends who have studied or work in these industries to share their experience. So today we will be exploring the amazing world of journalism, specifically medical journalism. Mm -hmm. And to help us do that, we are joined today by my very good friend from boarding school, Isabel. Hi, Isabel. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yep. So hi, I've been living in the UK for the past six years and um, I grew up in Singapore. And Mm -hmm. at the age of 16, I flew to the UK and that was where I met Audrey. (laughs) So fast forward a few years later, I now have a bachelor's in biochemistry from Imperial College. And I'm currently doing a master's of research um, specializing in neuroscience. Okay, so for our listeners who may not be familiar with your area, could you start us off by explaining what medical journalism is? So um, as a background, I was first introduced to medical journalism or just science communications Mm. as a whole Mm. in my second year of undergrad. So this is basically um, the communications of medical or scientific data. So um, this can range from Um, discussing the latest innovations or treatments and to a variety of audiences ranging from policymakers to regulators or doctors or even patients. Coming from that background, why were you interested in medical journalism specifically? Well, it's it's an industry that's quite niche per se, so it's still Mm. really scientific, but at the same time, it's not it doesn't require you to do conventional lab wet, wet lab work. What, what do you mean by that? So um, you don't have to go into the laboratory to do research like, to make findings. Okay. But at the same time, um, you're still using your scientific knowledge to share about it and share about the latest findings and make mm. it and simplify it into like bite-sized bits for the general audience. Mm, that's so, so important. Yeah, it is. It is, especially um, with COVID. I think it's emphasize more than ever that um, the importance of the general public understanding how vaccines work, how science works, and for you to have faith in science, you really need to understand it. So there are two sides of it, sort of. Yeah, so we are um, sort of in the middle. So what we do is that the clients could be the pharmaceutical companies, and then perhaps they have some findings they want to relay to the audience or the media Mm. or perhaps there are some regulatory issues that they need to um, highlight to their policy makers so what we do is that we take that information and we either um, summarize it in a more simplified context and then we give it to the media and say like maybe bbc guardian Mm. or even some tabloids and the journalists on that side would 
see the articles, see the press releases we send, and they, if they review it and they think, oh, this is cool, we want to publish it, and then they will take it from there. Wow, yeah, that's and super cool. Yeah. That's so interesting, yeah. <laughs> it is, and uh, likewise, if you deal with the regulators, then um, you would require direct contact with them, so this is through um, years of, I guess, establishing connections, mm. but once you know the people in there, then you can sort of yeah, send a simplified, either a summary, a technical summary to someone who with a scientific background or a simplified way and maybe highlight like, oh, we need this fast-tracked and perhaps you want to advance to a clinical trial more quickly oh. and all. Yeah, mm. you, we are so in the middle. That sounds yeah. amazing. I think I would be lost without like BBC articles about like <laughs> how the vaccine works, like what kind of different vaccines there are. And those could be written by Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember you told me that your first kind of experience in this field was when you interned in a medical journalism firm a few years ago, right? Yeah. So during your internship, were you exposed to all of this or what was a typical day like? Um, so my typical task mainly involved writing press releases for the biopharmaceutical co mm -hmm. companies. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, so that can be about how the company has perhaps advanced to the next stage of a clinical trial mm. or they could be... Um, writing something as a form of promotional yeah promotional release to p maybe look for um participants to join their clinical trial okay. mm. yeah and afterwards um i would also have to follow up to uh, make some rounds and like call the media and sell in the press releases mm -hmm. so this is this is what what we do when we do that is to make sure we get the interest of the journalists so when we engage them and they find that oh this is an interesting finding and mm. then the, yeah they would then take our press release and write about them oh. yeah. yeah what's the most interesting thing you did during your internship okay apart from writing a medical writing and like press releases what we also do is we sort of moderate panels and discussions Ooh. yeah so on several occasions we would have to do that and that would mean of course to leave the office early yeah moderating it was really interesting because you get to hear the insights of that company per se but also you get to hear the debates going on between mm. them and the med the science journalists. Oh, See? that's super yeah. cool. And it's live, right? Yeah, so you yeah. can see all it the was, emotions yeah. and everything. Oh, that's and super cool. What about the culture though? What, what is it like? Is it more hierarchical or is it startup vibes? <laughs> it was really, really chill. So I would say it's more towards startup vibes. Mm -hmm. So the company, it's not an MNC. It's not too big. And okay. because of that, um, and I think because of the nature of the industry, you don't actually have to be in the office. Many things, um, you can do it over video calls or over okay. the phone mm -hmm. and many things are actually done over conference calls just because the clients are all over the world and mm. you can't you can't be flying one place to another back to back mm. day after day so um because of that um everyone was really friendly like it doesn't matter if they're your superior or your it's just a colleague or something they're just really helpful and it's really informal mm. and um yeah they pretty much gives you the opportunity to do whatever you want and actually make an impact right and if you have an opinion and if there's something in particular that you want to focus on or you want to learn they are more than happy to let you do it there's a perception of journalism as being a very like creative like you mm -hmm. get to have 
very opinionated voices. Um, is that true of medical journalism and your experience? Um, unfortunately, not. Okay. Because ultimately, what we have to do is we need to reflect what our clients want us to reflect. Okay. Ooh, so that's interesting. If Sorry. there yeah. is... <laughs> yeah, this is where it gets a little... Um, the boundary becomes a bit great, I'd right. say. Yeah. Because um, if there's a finding from the company that they want to publish, and technically it is a finding that they made, of course, it's nothing's fabricated. It is mm. really something that they made. But mm. of course, with experiments, there are always some limitations and perhaps maybe some things could be done mm. better. And with a science background, I'm able to read the papers and I'm able to identify that, hey, maybe there's something flawed about this system or something flawed about this study and yeah let's just say that um the client has a study they published a study Mm. and it's already been peer-reviewed and it's in a medical journal a scientific journal but there are maybe ways that they could have improved the study better Mm. such that the results are not invalid but they should be taken with a pinch of salt okay. but perhaps because the findings is something that is that works very much in their favor right. so they want to publicize on it and i guess the general audience would not be aware of um certain drawbacks or mm. um things that might not have been over might have been overlooked or might not have been looked into yeah. enough but yeah they wouldn't know that and it's not our job to highlight these flaws to the public mm, because ultimately we speak in a sense we are a bit of like a public relations firm as well because we speak yeah. on behalf of our clients so right, we, yeah. we don't we don't enhance their flaws I yeah. see. that's super interesting because what happens if say there's this medical product that could mm. actually be harmful or like there's some side effects that you believe might negatively impact users if they see it yeah i think uh, off the top of my head something that comes to mind is like you know the whole rhetoric around smoking not being or vape not being um dangerous or like um i guess in that sense yes um, i think that's a very extreme yeah, yeah that, that sorry is example, but um <laughs> Yeah, there is there. It's really a gray area in lots of these things actually, mm. because um, with the supplements industry, we actually get this problem as well, where some supplements are really good, but some we don't actually know if it works. But oh. it's just out there because when it's not marketed as a drug, but it's marketed as a supplement, then mm. as long as it has no negative side effects, it can be on the shelves. But just because there are no negative side effects, might not mean that it actually does you good you know but it'll still be sold and it'll still be marketed as um like good for health yeah yeah, good for you and there could be that side effects are so long term that you don't really know exactly yeah Yeah. and i was wondering so if this something like this Mm -hmm. happens and as a science student you know that it could harm the public is there anything you can do to tell your superiors and especially i can imagine it's challenging when your superiors don't do a science don't come from a science background right yeah um so this would be quite a difficult thing to do i guess at entry level because this would mean that you might not want to take them up as a customer or a client but in that case then it it is really quite a a moral struggle i guess because if you do that it just means less business for the company Mm. and ultimately you really need to generate profits as a company and as a business so I would say hypothetically, if I ran my own company and the world was nice and ideal, <laughs> then yeah, you would filter out and only help 
and take on companies that you believe in but in reality you can't quite do that so you can only hope that um these cases like we've discussed earlier are pretty extreme and will not happen in real life because i think that if realistically if something was really that bad with mm. such bad side effect i it wouldn't it wouldn't just be me who finds it weird someone out there other scientists out there in the community the scientific community in general would also have it flagged out and mm. it might not even make it past um, approval in the first place right yeah, yeah. do you yeah. sometimes feel that there's an internal sort of struggle between what your ethics sort of say about this and mm-hmm. i don't know the way things are portrayed most of the time i don't struggle with it because most of the time um everything out there is really as transparent as it can possibly be already mm-hmm. but it's okay. just every now and then um this is more this is more for the health industry in terms of like your yeah, supplements and um yeah therapies not 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 therapies for diseases but more of maybe say aesthetic therapies because they the company also had some clients where they were aesthetic clinics so they deal what with aesthetic doctors what does that mean um, like beauty like, yeah beauty yeah. so oh, like derm- okay. not really dermatologists but say um weight loss doctors okay mm-hmm. so they are medically certified but they don't they do more arguably less important treatments like for your weight loss machines and your it's less um, essential yes yes your wrinkle treatment and all that yeah so with those i tend to get a little more skeptical but it is not my job to reflect my skepticism Mm. okay (laughs) yeah spoken like a true medical journalist (laughs) yeah i think it's also really interesting because I don't know if you feel this, but in university, I did a science degree as well. And you could use the same facts to argue both sides. Yeah, it's Interesting. It's about how you use those facts to phrase how you things phrase that you yeah. want to portray. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So like, for example, you can say like 99% efficacy, which sounds high, but actually for medics, it's quite low. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like you have to be like 99.999%, but to the general public, 99% sounds like a really high number. Mm. And I think that's where you guys come in, you know, you interpret what the numbers say and, you know, say that this is actually what it means. Mm. This is what yeah, it definitely. Means. Oh, I think one thing that I wanted to ask is about the diversity in your company. Mm-hmm. Oh. What, what was it like? Do you feel like most people there are, say, like locals or were there a lot of international people as well um most of the people were of british nationality Mm -hmm. but it was quite diverse in terms of the ethnicity okay yeah so um my boss she is um she was like british but she was british nigerian okay and uh, there were quite a few um british born indians Mm. in the company and I was the only Asian, but I didn't feel excluded in any way. Mm. Apart from the fact that they were constantly drinking like <laughs> tens of cups of coffee. Oh, not not coffee tea. <laughs> tens of cups of tea a day, and when they asked me, I just be like, "No, I'm happy with water." <laughs> but apart from that, um, mostly there wasn't any. I didn't feel of uh, feel any cultural difference or right. anything because, like I said, the clients were mostly international anyway so we were dealing with asians we were dealing with americans mm. we we're dealing with europeans that's so, really cool yeah, yeah so um the fact that everyone's from everywhere kind of makes things comfortable mm. so do you actually think there could be a benefit for you being an asian yes definitely um in fact what um the it is an advantage because it could mean that if 
I would stay in this industry, perhaps in the UK, then the fact that I, I don't know, my mother tongue is Mandarin might mm. mean that I could be able to speak to um, people in the Asian market, oh, like that's say China, really cool. yeah. Malaysia, Singapore. And I presume you'd be able to read peer reviews in other languages as well. Mm. Oof, that would take some work, but of course, <laughs> nothing is impossible, yes. <laughs> What's the progression like within the company? If you're starting out, how many years would you sort of give to progress in your career? Um, so this, the nature of this industry is really, really flexible. So it's not mm. like the typical hierarchy where you go on mm. all the way. So it's more of, of course, you would, you can eventually take on a managerial position, but um, the main, the most important thing in this industry is not your position but the connections because Ooh, I like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because uh yeah because um over the years the more people you know and the more they know of your name right. and perhaps how reliable you are or how well you get things done mm. um at some point which company you work for or whether you're even working for a company to begin with doesn't really matter anymore wow. and and if you're that far into the field you can actually go on to become freelance a freelance writer and many of them do because oh. you you know you know enough journalists you know enough clients and when they trust you enough they will stick to you even when you leave a company mm. right so then fact then you can be self-employed and you can still be working for people and you can still be communicating with um, the yeah. media but you're wow. not yeah i think that's a super company. interesting paradox yeah. though because you remember you mentioned about um reliability yeah and I assume that would mean a lot of people would expect you to be quite true in your reviews on yeah. products, but yeah. at the same time, as a junior, you mentioned you want to be able to give what the clients want of to hear. Course. So yeah. it is quite challenging to make to strike that balance between your current and your future <laughs> career. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Um, well, what what I can only say is that. Uh, yeah, there really isn't black and white in most things. Mm. And ultimately, as a medical writer, you mainly state the facts. So mm. if the facts are from the paper that reflects the findings of the pharma company, then you write that down. Right. Mm. And if there's anything that I'll, yeah, I'll say moving forward, if there's anything that perhaps you think that can be improved on or something, then maybe these can be done privately. But as but your job is still to state the facts from mm. whatever findings it is that they want to relay to the public. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Isabel, for sharing your experience in medical journalism with us today. Yeah, it was super interesting for me personally because I always enjoyed writing as well, but I never really put in the effort to consider <laughs> journalism. But it actually sounds like a really cool job. Yeah, definitely it is. But um, with all that said, it's still nice to trust trust what you read online, trust the journalist, and trust the writing because mm -hmm. even all that's been discussed, that does not happen most of the time and it's really as transparent as it can get mm. yeah well we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode yeah we're thinking of doing more episodes like these in the future where we explore different and potentially unconventional career paths yeah as well as some of the dilemmas we face in them and we're keen to know if this is something that you guys find helpful and are interested in 
Yeah, of course. It's always super fun to learn about what jobs there are out there.、Mm. And if you guys have any particular career paths that you're interested in hearing about, or even better, any guests that you think <laughs>、yes. we could bring on to share experiences, we would love to hear about it.、Mm. You can find us on our Instagram at notso underscore model minority. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.